1, I mean, we've memorized verse 2 of uh, Psalm 62, but I want to read verse 1 to you this morning. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from Him. And then the verse that we've memorized, He alone, say with me, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. Today I want to talk about the chaos of conflict. I'm pretty sure that it won't apply to any of us, but maybe you know somebody who has conflict in a relationship. We've talked about conflict we create by our sin, by our selfish behavior. We've talked about conflict that we encounter just because we're in a certain situation that affects us. We talked last week about too many canaries, the conflict of having too much going on at one time. Today I want to talk about the chaos of conflict that we all deal with. You know, one of the fascinating things about the Bible, whether you're studying the Old Testament or the New Testament, despite their centuries between them, and despite the differences between culture and nations, when you read stories about individuals, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it can be King David that we've talked about, it can be Solomon, Jesus, Peter, Paul, James, John, it doesn't matter, Old Testament or New Testament, you see that in many ways their experiences are no different than our experiences, particularly when it comes to interpersonal communications. And that's what I want to talk about today. Seems like back then they had a hard time getting along with one another. Well, guess what? We have a hard time getting along with one another. I'm not talking about conflict between nations. I'm talking about the conflict that we experience between neighbors and church members and marital conflict and family conflict and friendship conflict and church fellowship conflict. It's all part of who we are as being humans living in a sinful nature with the propensity of being selfish. When we don't allow ourselves to be controlled daily by the Holy Spirit, we're going to have conflict. It's a problem, friends, that transcends time. It transcends all cultural boundaries. We are prone to chaos in our relationships with each other. Now, some are better than others in getting along with their neighbors, but it's a challenge that I think all of us face from time to time. This wall of separation between me and the ones that God has called me to love. We've all experienced, and I want to address it this morning. And the thing about this conflict, friends, is it has the power Relational conflict has the power to make every other problem you're facing seem very insignificant in comparison because it hurts our heart. Relational conflict has the power to dominate your life. Just ask anybody who's been through a divorce. Ask anyone who's had to deal with a rebellious teenager that's ended up in juvenile. Ask anybody that's experienced the betrayal of a friend. And most of the time, conflict can be avoided. But we have this tendency sometimes 
by our nature to create conflict unnecessarily because we want to prove that our opinion is right. We want the other person to see things the way that we see them instead of seeking to understand where the other person's coming from. And we have this tendency to nurture conflict, particularly as Americans. Man, you can see it in our government. You can see it in our churches. We tend to nurture conflict. We think it's great to put down the other guy. We think it's great to point out the other person's fault. We tend to feed our conflict. We give it lots of sunlight. And you know what happens when you give sunlight and water to something? It grows. It grows. But Jesus said it doesn't have to be that way. And for Christ followers, it shouldn't be that way. So as we conclude this series, Unshakable, I want to talk to you about four ways that we can minimize a conflict in relationships with one another. Four keys that have the potential of of eliminating about 80% of the conflict that you experience in relationships. And for the major, major, major conflicts, these four keys might not solve, but might help you to get on the right track to resolving that conflict. And my text today is out of Ephesians, as Paul writes and talks about unity within the church. He's talking about unity within the church, but these principles will work unity in your home, unity in your HOA, unity in your school, unity in the orchard, wherever. See, the church in Ephesus was just like every other church (laughs) that's ever existed. They've had conflict. There is no perfect church. There's conflict. And we have to strive and learn to get along with one another. Preferring one another. Loving one another. When Paul said to them, he also, I think, would say to us today, So let's stand together and let's read our text, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm reading out of the New Living Version this morning. Going to begin with verse 25 and read through verse uh, 32. Beginning with verse number 25, it says, Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about that for a moment. So much of our society is controlled by anger. But the Bible says, don't let anger control you as a Christ follower. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger will give foothold to the devil. Man, if you're looking for ways to make sure the devil doesn't start getting into your life, here's one that sometimes we overlook. Anger is an open door for Satan, according to the Word of God. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. As what Pastor Allen was referring to. Don't use foul or abusive language. 
Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. That's why sometimes I need to turn off the news. Not everybody uses words that are helpful and encouraging. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. We sing about it. We're chosen. We're royalty. Praise God. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit in us. He has chosen us, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, here it is, here's our instructions. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. Heavenly Father, in a country, in a culture that is so polarized, and anger and put-down seem to be the, <laughs> the way that we attack and communicate and feel good about ourselves. God, forgive us. Forgive us for playing into that culture. And Lord, help us focus today on a Christ-centered culture. And as Paul instructed the church in Ephesians, may your Holy Spirit instruct Wenatchee First Assembly and all believers who hear this message that we might, oh God, when we deal with conflict, do it in a biblical way toward resolution. Speak to us through your spirit and your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you're seated, I want to thank the four men that showed up yesterday and cleaned our courtyard. We had a men's work day. We had four guys. I appreciated them. They worked hard. The courtroom is going to be ready for Father's Day next week. And we're going to be uh, serving some iced coffee. We've got a little putting green for you guys uh, next out in the courtyard, Father's Day next Sunday. But I want to thank the guys that showed up. It really means a lot to us that you served us. Number one, as we look at Paul's text this morning, we need to speak the empowering truth. Speak the empowering truth. You uh, might notice a few verses before I started reading, in verse number 15, Paul says we should speak the truth in love. Now, a few verses later, which we did read in verse 29, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use negative put-downs. Don't be critical and judgmental. Let everything you say be good and helpful. And if you can't say anything good and helpful to this, keep your mouth shut. Seriously. Better not to say it than to violate what the Bible tells us our speech should be. Man, I have heard people talk about speaking the truth as it has to be confrontational. I know pastors like that. 
Man, every single week it's pound, 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 pound against the government, against the culture, against the schools, against anything. No, speaking the truth does not have to be confrontational and actually shouldn't be confrontational because confrontation always leads to conflict. And we don't want conflict, we want resolution. Somehow people think that speaking the truth is getting into somebody's face, telling them that they're wrong. I'll tell you the truth, buddy. No, that's not speaking the truth in love. That will create more conflict. (laughs) We create conflict when we say things that aren't true. But listen, we also create conflict when we say truth, but we do it intentionally to hurt the person. Oh, I'm against every sin that is listed in this Bible. But the Bible doesn't say that we use sin against people to hurt them. You speak the truth in love in a way that won't create conflict. I don't know why as a church we have kind of drawn a line in the sand and we think it's us versus them. We want to have the power to to take over them. And the Bible says, no, we need the power to love them. We need the power to love See, this is one of the falsehoods that Paul is telling us here. We need to abandon saying things that intentionally will hurt people. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. That's called empowering truth. Speak it in a wholesome way, an uplifting way, an edifying way. When you first talk to somebody that you know is not on the same page as you when it comes to values when it comes to Christ, when it comes to looking at life, I would encourage you to find common ground with that person. Find something you can agree with initially and begin a relationship on something that you have in common instead of coming across so confrontational, immediately pointing out what you don't have in common. Because remember, all seven billion of us are created in God's image. We're not all walking in fellowship with God, but we all have a piece of God in us. So speak the truth in love in a wholesome, uplifting, edifying way, which leads me to my second point. Before you talk with those that you're going to potentially have a little bit of conflict with, deal with your anger. Because if you don't deal with your anger, it's going to take your life over. And you're just going to be an angry, resentful, bitter person. Paul says here there's a warning sign, and the warning sign for us is anger. Now, if you're driving your car over Snoqualmie Pass, and all of a sudden a light goes on that says, you know, danger, your brakes are not working, or something's wrong with your vehicle, most of you are not going to ignore that. Right? I mean, that's serious business. If the computer in your car tells you your brakes are about to fail, I hope that you would pull over the side of the road and make sure that you and your family are safe. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, if you feel yourself getting angry, if you feel that rising up, 
you can feel the fight coming on, don't feed it. That's a warning sign that you're about to allow Satan into your heart. That's pretty serious. Your, warning, your anger is a warning sign that the, you have something to deal with. In fact, any negative emotion really is a warning sign that something needs to be dealt with. That's what Paul's telling us here in 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Man, how many times have we watched mobs of people protest at a Capitol building or loot the Bellevue Mall like we saw on television a couple years ago? Controlled by anger. Controlled by their emotions. Not their sensibility, not their ability to rationalize anything. They just get caught up in this mob of people who are so angry. So the Bible says very clear, if you're mad at someone, you better deal with it before you talk to that person. And the closer that person is to you, two things. First of all, the more personal the communication needs to be. And secondly, the sooner you should resolve it. It's always a lot easier to send an email or a letter to try to resolve conflict. But if you're talking about your best friend, the higher the level of tension, the more personal your contact should be. But that also can create an environment that tempers start to flare. That's why Paul says here, we need to resolve the anger issue in our heart. Don't let it fester. You know, it's like a wound that is never cleaned. It's like food that is rotting and it's never properly disposed of. That anger will begin to fester. The same thing happens in our relationships if we don't deal with that anger in a timely manner. Paul says, ignoring your anger is giving foothold to the devil. And you know that the devil is never going to bring anything good in your life. Because God is a good God, and the devil's a bad devil. Always. He might appear as an angel of light, but he's deceitful. He is a liar. And nothing good is going to come from the devil. Now, dealing with anger, we've got a couple options. We can choose to come to the conclusion that, well, maybe I don't need to be angry because I'm making something out of nothing here. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I can ignore what that person said or did because in the grand scheme of things, it's not important. And maybe I'm making it all about me. Sometimes pride, when you turn your focus inward... Man, you can pick up offenses that were never intended. There's a lot of people in our world today that walk around with hurts and offenses that were never intended. But they've made it so much about themselves that they've internalized it. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves, is this really a conflict? 
or is it about me and my ego? Maybe I need to be a little less important (laughs) than to think it's about me. And then again, there's some people that go through life and they're offended at every little thing. Well, I don't like the way Sister Johnson looked at me this morning. I wonder why Brother Smith never talked to me this morning. You know, and we build these things up in our mind. and It's amazing how many people get offended over stuff on Facebook. My goodness, just keep scrolling. You know, just ignore it. Why do you have to look for something to be offended by? And most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, when I'm offended, I'm a huffy about something, you know, I see that the person who needs to change is really not the person I've taken an offense. They were just stating their opinion. It's really something that God needs to do in my heart. So sometimes you need to back up, give yourself some space, give yourself some godly perspective before you deal with things head on. Now, if it's not about you, then it does need to be about resolution with that other person. Because when there exists a serious conflict between people, you just can't ignore it because it will fester. So you go back to square one of what I said earlier. You sit down with a person, you look them in the eye, you speak to them with empowering truth. And always start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps you didn't mean it, but when you said whatever, I, I really felt like you were... You see, give them the benefit of the doubt. And you speak the truth in love in a wholesome, uplifting manner. Even if it's a topic that's tense. Even if they're completely in the wrong, you will be wrong if you begin to lash out on them. If you begin to attack with that anger, then you are equally as wrong as they were. So don't aim for the juggler. When it comes to trying to deal with conflict, speak the truth in love. Resolve it as quickly as possible. The third thing I notice here that Paul um, instructs us to do is always be the giver, not the taker. Ouch. Always be the giver, not the taker. Now, I find this verse a little curious Verse 28, it's part of our text. We can't ignore it, so we have to deal with it. It says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Man, why did he put that in there? He's talking about anger. He's talking about relationships. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. We know we're not supposed to steal, I mean, we know the Ten Commandments, right? There's no doubt here that Paul is talking literally. We're not supposed to steal. We understand that. But I also want to present to you today, he is also talking metaphorically. And scriptures can always have a double value. So here he is using it as a metaphor. 
He's talking, I believe, about, in context, about living life with the attitude that says, I'm looking out for me above all else. I'm taking what I need. I'll take what I want. I don't care what it costs you because it's all about me. We have politicians like that. It's all about me. That's what he's talking about, that kind of stealing. It's not all about any one individual. See, some people build their whole career on this concept. Whether they're the manager of a business or the manager of an orchard or in their home, in their family life. They build their, their whole career, their whole personality on it's all about me. I've got to be the center of attention. It's all got to please me. And usually those kind of people are the ones that say, well, how little can I do and still draw the paycheck? A Christ follower would do just the opposite. You'll do more than's required of you on the job because of your Christ-like servant's heart. But if you have an attitude of stealing, of doing as little as you can, no wonder you're in conflict with your co-workers who see you sloughing off, who see that you're really not pulling your weight, see that you're really not a team player. No wonder things are tense with your boss because they can sense your me-first attitude. And we can sense that in the church. You can sense it in a marriage. Man, there's people who say, man, I'll give my 50%, but I sure, I'm not going to give 51%. Well, (laughs) you that have been married for 50 and 60 years know, and I'm no expert on the institution of marriage, but I know that there's many, many times that you have to give 100%. It's not about even Stephen. You give 50, I'll give 50, and we get along. It's no, I'm here to serve you. I pledge to God to be the best husband I could, no matter how you treat me. I pledge to be the best wife that I can. It's about giving 100%. It's about a servant heart. It's the same in your relationship with your children and your grandchildren, your friends, and those in the church. When your attitude becomes, what can I give, rather than what can I take, most of your petty conflicts will disappear, because you're looking at it through a different lens. How cool that one of our members just randomly went up to Pastor Allen and said, I want to pay a scholarship for VBS. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of person has a generous heart. They're not stealing. What are they doing? They're working hard, and then it says they use that to give generously to others. I want us to look briefly. We'll put it on the screen. It's uh, another one of Paul's Uh, letters. It was written to a different church. This is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But he says, make it a goal to live a quiet life. (laughs) Make it your goal to live a quiet life. 
I don't know why, particularly as Christians, we think we have to be so vocal and so aggressive and so in your face. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Man. I'm sorry if this is stepping on your toes, but this is just the scripture. I, I didn't write this stuff. I'm just presenting it to you, okay? This is what Paul says. Make it your goal to live a quiet life and mind your own business. Why do we think we have to tell all our neighbors what they should believe and how they should live? Now, we should build relationships with them. We should share what Christ has done in our life. We should share our faith. I'm not denying any of that. But it all goes back to that we're a giver, not a taker. Work with your hands, just as we have instructed you before. Then your neighbors, then the citizens of Wenatchee, then those who are not believers will respect the way you live. We get a lot of bad press I'm talking about evangelical churches, conservative, Bible-believing churches. We get a lot of bad press. But you know, I think some of that bad press is because we haven't been following what the scriptures say in dealing with our neighbors. Because here it says, if we live a quiet life and mind our own business and work with our hands, and then verse 12 says... Let me read you verse 12, because it's important. Verse, uh, no, it's in Thessalonians. Verse 12 says, Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. It's not good. It's just good stuff Paul is giving to us. In the book of Galatians, he says basically the same thing. You know, we need to carry our own load, and we should help each other carry their load. Sometimes we create conflict with others when we neglect to carry our own weight at work or home or friendships. Again, because of that first selfish, it's all about me attitude. And we can also create a lot of conflict for ourselves when we follow others around, you know, with our little portable scale. And we can, we, we can weigh their, their output in every situation. You know, we don't want other people to get away with doing less than we're doing. And that's not our job either. Obviously, you know, if you're in a leadership role, you've got to make sure that everyone's pulling their own weight. But most of the time, I think it's best for us to obey the scripture that says, mind your own business. And let God take care of that. I mean, God's the final judge, and he has a way of working all those things out. You know? Instead of nosing your way into what everyone else is doing, make sure you're just doing what God's calling you to do. I'm a giver, not a taker. So guess what? Those scales are always going to be out of balance for a Christian. You're always going to be more generous than your coworker. You're always going to give a little bit more. You're going to have more of a servant's attitude. You're going to be more forgiving. They will be out of balance because Jesus is the center of your life. He is your Lord. 
You are following after him. You don't have to have hateful words. You don't have to deal in hostility. A fourth thing, fourth step in avoiding conflict and uh, resolving conflict, make kindness and compassion the key word of the day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Be kind. Jack Hayford said it years ago, the best thing we can do for Jesus is to be kind. <laughs> he said that'll open up more opportunities than anything else. More than your chick tracks. More than your protest sign. Be kind. Charles Swindoll said the same thing in one of his devotional books that I used years ago. He said he was visiting a president of a university, and he went into the president's office, and there was a big sign on the wall that said, Kindness Spoken Here. And Chuck Swindoll said, What a powerful message. What a powerful purpose to pursue. In fact, he wrote that whole devotional around that theme. Be compassionate. You don't have to fly off the handle. You don't have to be snarky, you know, and post stuff on Facebook or, or Twitter. Even if the other person's wrong, you can still be kind. You can still be compassionate and not compromise the truth. And again, don't worry. People won't get away with stuff forever. <laughs> if it's really serious, you can resolve the conflict with another person in a biblical way. Social media is not the way to do that. Do you know what helps me to try to develop this attitude of kindness and compassion? Is <laughs> to continually read verse 27 here. Or uh, verse, um, I'm sorry, not 27, but 32. It says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here's the key. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. If I could be half as forgiving to others as Christ has been to me. And there's no comparison. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Jesus went to the cross while we were in rebellion. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. How great a love. How compassionate. Jesus was a really kind man. None of us, friends, are in a position to throw stones at people. <laughs> when it comes to sin, we all bear the same stain. You know that? Romans 3 tells us. <laughs> we all need to be forgiven by Christ. There is none righteous, not one. All of us have sinned. Now, I know you like to think your sin isn't as great as somebody else's sin, but that's something you really kind of need to work through, too. We're all sinful. When you've got conflict with others and they're in the wrong, it needs to be resolved. You approach the situation with the same compassion and kindness that Jesus demonstrated in your life. So my challenge is that every day, not just every day this week, but every day, you'll make that your key word. I'm going to be kind 
and compassionate. Doesn't mean you're going to avoid conflict, doesn't mean you're going to avoid sinful uh, situations, but it means that in all of it, you're going to be kind and compassionate. I really believe those four, their interlocking steps, if you look at them, will help us to avoid most of our conflicts. Speak the truth in love, because love and truth always empowers people. Hate and truth will not empower people. Anger and truth will not empower people. It enrages them against us. Speak the truth in love. Number two, deal with your anger, your negative emotions, before they take over. You might have to remove yourself from a situation. I've done that before. So, you know, I I just need... I just need a half hour to kind of collect my thoughts. And, because otherwise, you're prone to say something you're going to regret. Deal with your anger and negative emotions first before they cause unnecessary damage and before they allow Satan a foothold. Number three, always be a giver. Be generous, not a taker. And four, treat others with kindness and compassion and forgiveness the same way that Christ treats us. I think a commitment to those four habits will make our life so much better. So much better. Think in your mind of drawing a circle around yourself. Like with a piece of chalk. You're standing, you're sitting. Just think about this for a moment. Draw a circle around yourself. And then I want you to make it your intention to make that area a conflict-free zone. You can't control the person in the next circle. You can't control the person in the White House. You can't control... Anything except your own responses. And even then, it has to be the Holy Spirit that gives us power to control ourselves. Right? But he does that. Draw a circle and say, man, I don't take myself too seriously. I'm not going to become easily offended. I'm going to speak with kindness and compassion. In this no-conflict zone, I'm going to carry my own weight. I'm going to be a giver, not a taker. And when conflict becomes unavoidable, I refuse to believe that it's unresolvable. So I'm going to deal with it with love and respect. May Jesus help us to have that kind of attitude. May the Holy Spirit help us to live this gospel. Not just to believe it, not just to teach it, not just to know it, but to live it on a day-by-day basis. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our salvation. You are our fortress. No matter what chaotic situation we might be facing, you alone are our salvation. And Jesus, today we've talked about conflict. We all have experienced conflict, maybe with family members, maybe with co-workers, maybe with people who see the political scene different than we do. Maybe with churches that have different doctrines. 
God, help us. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to take the teaching that Paul has given us through the word today and apply it. May we be kind. May we, oh God, be compassionate. May we empower with the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.